Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products and fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa, we've got your bass covered. Yes, they certainly do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget, you can always check us out through our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is recorded in Northern Illinois at two studios. We ship the audio down to Land Lakes, Florida, to Berserk Productions and our friend Brad Nierman, who is our executive producer. Hey there, Brad. Happy New Year. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix, a guy named Andrew Lemley from Northern Michigan, who caught a limit of smallies that weighed about 37 pounds. Yeah, that's seven pounds plus per fish. That is incredible, incredible success when fishing for smallmouth bass. Andrew Lemley will talk to Dave and share his story. Then I get to talk to uh, my friend Edwin Evers, one of the best fishermen on the planet. Yeah, he's uh, just a hair shy of $4 million in uh, winnings in his uh, professional bass fishing career. One of the top five winners of all time, Edwin Evers. So excited to be able to talk to him. But first, let's swing it over to Dave Kranz. I believe he's got young Dan Johnson uh, on to give us some of his uh, wonderful tips. As always, Dave Kranz and Dan Johnson, take it away. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. And this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. And weekly, they bring us Dan Johnston. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, Dave. That's excellent. So uh, we haven't talked about this topic before. Well, let uh Let's talk about targeting larger size fish when you go for any species, you know, whether that's panfish, whether that's walleyes, whether that's bass, large or smallmouth, either one. Um, let's talk about why you, why you would do certain things to catch that one big one rather than catching, as you said, 50. Yeah, it's it's the man. If we all had this potion that we could drink to make us succeed in this topic, and we could all go out and catch nothing but big fish, wouldn't that be something? But you know, that aside, I think there are some general rules that to follow. You know, and I I would say, uh, whenever I'm in a situation where I, let's say you've got a you got five in your live well and you want to try to catch it, let's say bass or crappie or whatever, you're trying to catch a great great big one. You know, usually. At least the things that come to my mind, the two most obvious things that I think of is one that doesn't always come to play, but it's the size of the bait. And specifically, if they're keyed on big bait, what one thing people can't comprehend, those of us that fish a lot realize it, because when you catch a six-inch bass on a seven-inch jerkbait, uh, yep. we realize that they'll eat very big things. But that, in a larger context, a big five, six, seven-pound largemouth will eat a big bait, a, a lot bigger than a lot of people realize. I, so one thing that I'll try to do sometimes is throw something big, especially when they're keyed on big things, specifically huge shad in the fall. The second thing I'll think about is where would a big fish normally live? And usually, short of the spawn, short of the spawn they will kind of sometimes like to be close to a deep water exit so that could be a big heavy tar hard target lay down stump next to deep water or it could be a bluff wall or usually again when they're spawning and bedded up that's different they can be on pea gravel in three foot of water back in the uh, in a shallow warming bay but short of that time of year i'm looking for something relatively close to deep water and a big, heavy, hard target, something like a, I call like a P.O. box where a big fish would live. Yeah, and, and that's that's uh, great advice. The other, I, I think one of the other things is, um, like you said, you got five, whether it's bass or uh, you, you go to the bigger bait. But the uh, the other thing is certain techniques seem to gravitate to bigger fish. And and for bass, for me, uh, those two things would be either a big jig or, or a frog. I, I seem to catch some big fish on those. So if you put those type of baits in your hands, 
instead of something that you're going to catch the numbers on, that would be uh, uh, something to do too, wouldn't it? Yeah, see, mine's the big swim bait, Dave, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm throwing, like, California size big yeah. if I'm trying to catch a big one. And it's worked on small lakes in Iowa. i probably let a cat out of the bag there. But there's times when you can throw something a lot bigger than other people would. And that, that segues into another topic is sometimes – Finding that big fish is where other people don't fish. And that can and I know that sounds like an obvious statement, but that means being able to skip or flip that jig into an area where number one, most people physically can't get it to. But secondly, even if they could, they won't because they won't think they'll get them out. And my mindset's always you're never going to catch a big one unless you get it on first. And it, it, believe me, I broke off my share, but just the fact you get that fish on is a huge start. And sometimes when you get a, another whole topic we could do, if you ever do pin one up, a really big one in cover, the last thing you want to do, especially a dock or something like that, is try to horse them too much. There's times with smallmouth around cover a lot of times, you can let off on them and actually swim out and walk them like a dog out of the cover. And if you try to force them, they'll start jumping and they'll break you off. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and something else on the bigger baits, not this doesn't just apply to bass. We said multi-species. My biggest bluegills don't come on live bait. They come on uh, spoons, almost like crappie baits, spoons or like a, a gulp minnow. And and a lot of times I've been fishing crappies and I'm what I end up catching are sometimes nine and 10 inch bluegills in with them. And I think that's because of the bigger bait also. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think sometimes when you're using live bait, and this really goes into another topic, sometimes catching the bigger fish is just being patient. I know some more, here's what I mean by that. When we're wiper fishing, hybrid striper white bass here in Iowa, some of the big giant ones are down below the smaller schoolies on the surface. And you can tell, because every once in a while it looks like somebody dropping a bathtub into the water, so you know that big one's there. But you see a lot of other activity, and those big fish oftentimes are lazy. They want that easy prey. So they're taking all the ones that are getting hammered up above, all the big shad that are dying and fluttering down below. So maybe it's going heavier or bigger, or sometimes just throwing farther past the smaller school to get it down to work below them. And largemouth schooling fish will do the same thing. Now, sometimes you got to school of pounders up i get that but more times than not they're two and a half pounders up blowing up and the four pounders 10 foot down so that's another mindset too just a matter of getting be patient either weeding through some of the smaller ones or using a bait that'll get down a little deeper yeah, absolutely and and i've heard it applied to the walleye guys they're they fish tournaments and they got a slot for like three smaller fish 14 to 18 inches and you can bring in one over 24 they'll they'll go and they'll do a, a jig and a minnow or a jig and a leech or a half a crawler or something like that get their three in that slot and then when they go to fish for the big ones they put that live bait rig down and they start uh, either trolling or casting a a, a good size uh, crankbait or stick bait and i and i think that applies it's almost the same in every species to go bigger isn't it it, it it is, but I guarantee you there's listeners out there going, Dan, I've caught the biggest bass I ever caught in my life was of a beetle spin. I know that person's out there listening, and I completely get that. There's times these big fish, smallmouth bass are the best example of that. When they key on a mayfly, that little hair jig or that little green pumpkin or motor oil color twister tail on a 16-ounce head will outfish a big bait every day of the week when they're keyed on that. And I get that completely. So we're talking about more generally speaking rule of thumb. You know, if you're gonna, if you're trying to catch one big fish and it's not a mayfly hatch or whatever, then yeah, that, that big bait is a good idea. Now, are you gonna catch as many? Probably not. You could still catch a 12 inch on a great big topwater bait. But that bite that you're gonna get sometimes is a bigger fish if you just key on that bigger bait. Get away from where people fish. Fish areas close to deep water and really pay attention to your seasonality. If you're in a time of year where your bait fish are bigger, go a little bigger than that. Yeah, and I think that you brought up another point about the time of year that it is. Uh, many of these fish are, are the heaviest in the spring, but, you know, in the case of some of them, uh, they're heavier in the fall, too, because they're bulking up for winter like those big smallies. 
Well, they do feed up in the fall, and they and they school up in the fall also. So people can go out and catch a ton of fish on a point, but what happens a lot of times is there's a, there's a few big ones on that point too with a lot of smaller ones, and that's when your strategy has got to change a little bit. Try to get under the smaller ones, maybe fish a little deeper. Uh, just try to think outside the box. You know, and to your point, instead of throwing that little 3-8-ounce finesse jig, maybe something bigger, don't trim the skirt on it, put a full-size craw on the back of it. Again, it's the few number of bites but when you catch a few big ones doing it you get a lot of confidence and one other thing i would add too is the heaviest nastiest cover you can find like if you're punching and you people are going around hitting the edges and pads and little holes go with a heavier weight and go right in the thick of things and sometimes big big fish like the sanctuary of areas that people just don't get at so that's another one to keep in your in your quiver as well absolutely yeah and uh I guess there's probably some people thinking, boy, I don't care if I what size they are. I just want to catch numbers. But at some point, you will get to uh, where whether you're fishing a tournament or whether you just want to target bigger fish because you're, um, you know, you you've caught enough of the two pounders and three pounders. Now you want to get something that's five or more. Um, and, and you know, these are just tips from experience. And you know, we we certainly. Uh, uh, there's there's people that have caught many more big fish than Dan or I, but it's certainly things that have worked for us and 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 uh, hopefully uh, can help some of the other ones. You said about the size of the bait. Sometimes you catch a big fish on a on a small bait. I think about I'm not a musky guy. I've caught 87 guys, 87 muskies in my life. And I fish for bass, but I've caught them on rattle traps. I've caught them on spinner baits. I've caught them on senkos. I've caught them on buzz baits. I've caught them on uh, things that you wouldn't fish for a muskie, but sometimes those big fish do fi- hit the smaller baits too. Have, have you experienced some of that too on, on catching non-target uh, species while you're fishing for something else? The biggest muskie I ever had on my life took a bluegill. I was bed fishing bluegills those live bluegills and it wasn't a big bluegill and it was a 50 inch plus muskie i've never (laughs) caught a 50 inch muskie this one came up and wrapped its line around his face and broke my line but i had it on and two people saw it so yes big fish will take small baits all the time but what this topic is is if we're actually targeting a big fish if we were trying to catch one we should do an episode to the converse of this when you're trying to catch numbers yeah it's a completely opposite conversation and we should do that it'd be fun it it will be fun and we will do that and uh, uh, thank you for being on the podcast as always uh, great information Dan always my pleasure Dave thank you that was Dan Johnston I am Dave Kranz Steve Sarley is remote and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix the best rods on earth the We Fish ASA podcast we'll be right back Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Starley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say the guests that I have on this program have a passion for the outdoors, 
my next guest uh, completed something that uh, is, is just almost unbelievable. He had a five fish limit of smallmouth bass that was 36.9. And that's an amazing feat to even even catch one of the fish that he caught as a kicker in a bag. I would like to welcome Andrew Lemley to the podcast. How you doing, Andrew? Hey, I'm great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, no problem. So give me a little background on your, uh, we talked a little bit off air about your uh, your uh, fishing experience. Uh, you're, you're a very accomplished angler and, and, and have fished for a long time. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started and, uh, and where you're going with it. Sure, sure. Well, I, I currently live in northern Michigan, uh, the little town of Charlevoix, which uh, many know us as for the famous Lake Charlevoix and our great uh, our great fishing here. Um, and I've lived here nearly nearly ten years, and I absolutely love it. Um, but I came from uh, Toledo, Ohio, is where I'm from. So I grew up fishing, uh, you know, mostly Lake Erie, Detroit River, St. Clair. That those were my uh, my home waters. Um, and uh, grew up fishing at a pretty young age, started tournament fishing at 15, uh, got my first bass boat right there at, at 15 as well, um, after having a little bit of you know, success on that. Um, so I got started pretty early. Um, you know, I fished Everstarts, uh, you know, BFLs, and eventually the FLW Tour as a co-angler. Um, so I really got to, uh, you know, travel the country and learn from the best uh, at a young age in my, you know, early 20s. and. Uh, late teens to you know kind of get started and everything and um, you know kind of thought I wanted to go that way as far as making a living um, and I was doing okay with it uh, but I you know kind of wanted to slow down and uh, you know get established and start a family first before getting too deep into that so um, that's what we're doing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right yeah yeah and uh, you know it's kind of leaving the door open to to getting back into that once things slow down and our kids grow up um, but for right now, I, you know, I'm living up in northern Michigan, the greatest place on earth, and, uh, uh, and I'm loving it. So just having a lot of fun fishing and, uh, you know, slowing down on the tournament scene. Excellent. So you uh, you uh, cut your teeth on the smallies being being there in Toledo and fishing those uh, places that like Detroit and Sinclair. I did. And- I did, yes. And that's where I fished every weekend, um, you know, and, and I, I miss it at times. I do. I, I absolutely love it down there. And, uh, you know, we have great here as well. So it's hard, it's hard to leave here, but I do miss it. Uh, but yeah, I grew up fishing, you know, smallmouth down there and we actually, you know, have some great largemouth fishing too that can't be, uh, you know, discounted. So, um, you know, I'm fortunate to live uh, you know, grow up a half hour from the water there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. So uh, this phenomenal bag that uh, Andrew caught, uh, if I've got the numbers right, uh, every one of these would be a kicker in any tournament bag. Uh, and these are smallmouth. I had uh, I saw on your scale there that you, I saw the photo of 687, 729, 773, 745, and 753 for 36.9 <laughs> pounds of smallmouth. And that is absolutely uh crazy big fish and and so tell us a little bit about the day i know you didn't disclose the lake there's many of them that it could be up there because there's so many uh good lakes to fish but tell us a little bit about that day sure sure so um so i'm fishing a large lake you know like i said i don't like to disclose it because i uh, you know I, I fish you know five six seven lakes you know pretty heavy up here mainly the larger lakes um hold the biggest fish and um you know and Mostly, I think the, the lakes with gobies in them um, really hold the biggest of, of those fish at a, uh, you know, uh, at a larger scale. You know, we have a lot of smaller lakes that, that hold a lot of big fish, too, but not quite of uh, the numbers that those, that those larger lakes do with the, the better forage. Um, so that day, um, like I said, I'm up here fishing. I don't go too far from home. <laughs> Everyone wonders where I'm at. Um, I rarely go on more than an hour away up here. So I just have this little Northwest corner of Michigan that I fish, like I said, really heavy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and since I've lived up here, as like I said, it's been about 10 years. I don't, I haven't left uh, with my boat and travel more than an hour and a half ever to fish. So we have it so good up here that we can, you know, really pick a lake and, uh, um, from a, you know, a pretty large handful of lakes here. And, and pretty much you have an opportunity to catch a bag that big at quite a few lakes around here um, were you catching fish that big uh, prior to this day to this outing that no that was my biggest bag of fish um i believe my my next biggest before that was a high 33 bag um but those 
you know, those seven pound fish live in, uh, they swim in quite a few of the lakes we have up yeah. here, of course. <laughs> but to get five of them on the same, same outing is pretty that's, amazing. That's the crazy part. Yeah. So, um, in, in fishing this lake, I fish it kind of heavier in the fall and I, I, and I was, you know, catching a seven pounder here or there, um, you know, mainly one a day. Um, and when I was start, you know, fishing that lake in the fall, uh, but for all those to come off of really just one rock and, and one, one day was, you know, just a dream, just a dream. So, um, <laughs> yeah, these fish obviously had to be schooled together to get that many. And, and uh, I can't even imagine how many more were with them for you to catch, to catch those five. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and it was a day like that where, you know, you catch, you know, I probably caught, caught 50 that day or somewhere around there. Um, and those fish were, I was catching numbers like that. Most of the, you know, most of the fall at that lake. And, um, but you know, of course, like I said, not, not that, uh, seven pound average of five fish. That was just, uh, just something else. No, that that's <laughs> so, phenomenal. But so what, what were the baits that were working that day? Yeah. So I, I mainly, I mainly fish on the bottom. So, um, and something not everybody does, I think up here, but fishing swim baits really slow. Uh, along the bottom on a rocky bottom. Um, and I prefer, you know, for the, for, you know, crawling along the bottom, I really prefer the, the spark shad from mega bass. Um, you know, it has the flat top on it and it just, uh, you know, it doesn't roll over when you're fishing it slow along the bottom like that. So that's, that's kind of my, my go-to in the fall as far as that, uh, you know, that slower presentation. Yeah, and and they're probably uh, fishing it slow and dragging it like that, probably imitating a goby, and uh, uh, and that's probably what to, for those fish to get that big. You you mentioned it earlier. There's got to be a forge base, and and the gobies have been, you know, both a curse and a blessing to the uh, Great Lakes and and many of the Northern Lakes because of their, uh, you know, being able to adapt so well. They have, yes, I agree. Um, and like I said, a lot of those fish are still spitting up crawdads and live well. Um, at that time of year. So, you know, I don't know if they think it's a goby, if they think it's a crawdad or if they don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's scooting along the bottom and, and that's what they, you know, they're after that time of year. So, um, but I, yeah, I think, I think probably goby is the one that, uh, uh, is what they think it is. So, and I fish, you know, the three inch and the four inch, um, you know, whatever they want that day. And, Mostly when I was fishing that lake, it was the four inch is uh, the way I was fishing and, you know, making super long casts on a football head and, uh, you know, working it slow. And um, in that day, <laughs> they didn't want that bait at all. They they were preferring the three inch. Hmm. So it was kind of wild because every trip before that, I was barely fishing that three inch one. I was throwing a lot more at four. Um, and the bigger fish were, you know, eight to three that day. So you really, you really never know. Um until they tell you what they want, you know, you, you got to go with an open mind every day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously you don't um, mind going as late as you can into the, the season and to uh, uh, fish these opportunities that are going to be frozen at some point. So you, you take every opportunity to get out there and, uh, and, and fish into yes. November, December, whenever you can. We certainly do. Um, I actually have plans to fish tomorrow and uh, I'm just on New Year's Eve. Yep. Um, you know, so we have a little bit of open water. As I look out the window at my house here, um, we are on Oyster Bay of Lake Charlotte up here and we just started to freeze over a little bit on top. So we may be cutting a little bit of ice tomorrow, but I saw <laughs> we, uh, we may hit 35 degrees tomorrow. So that's a good opportunity to <laughs> find a little water and, uh, and our fish here bite all the way up until ice. And, you know, we still do catch a lot of fish through the ice um while we're out there in the winter so yeah so yes these fish will bite well they'll bite that swim bait all the way up until ice you know fishing it slow and um it's never too late to get out you know we, we kind of keep the snow shovel in the back salt in the back of the truck and uh you know, we got to shovel the ramp off. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> shovel the ramp, salt it so that you can get back out. Uh, how about uh, what kind of line are you fishing uh, these uh, swim baits on? Yeah, so on the spinning setup, um, you know, I'm throwing a seven and a half foot rod, uh, you know, medium action. And um, I'm, on this setup, I was throwing seven pound braid uh, to six pound fluorocarbon as my leader, you know, fishing a long leader. And, uh, you know, it was a little scary landing those big fish on, on that rig. Um, you know, you have you got to let them run. You know, you got to let them run, play them out, tire them out, and uh, and just take your time with those fish. So, and then on my bait cast setup, you know, I'm throwing it, you know, a seven or seven and a half foot 
um, with 12 pound line and, you know, fishing that half and three quarter, the heavier stuff. Yeah. 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 So, no, that's uh, yeah. And, um, and those are phenomenal, phenomenal fish. And, uh, uh, so for right now, you're going to stay in the, uh, the uh, realm of fun fishing, but uh, you may uh, come back to do something on uh, one of these uh, circuits again. I, th- I think I think that may be in the cards. Um, you know, after our kids grow up a little bit, we have a four and a two year old, so uh, I'm really enjoying the family thing at the moment. And uh, I think when when the kids, uh, like I said, grow up a little bit and you know, in, in school a little more and stuff like that, uh, that we're going to leave that door open for sure. You know. Uh, um, I, I do miss, you know, that stuff a little bit, and uh, I have a lot of buddies that are still egging me on to, to get back at it, but, uh, uh, you know, first things are first, so um, I hope to. I hope to someday. Well, you keep practicing, and you keep getting bags that are uh, uh, almost 37 pounds of smallmouth, and, and uh, that that's a dream for everybody who fishes a tournament to, to bring that in and uh, show those fish off on stage, and, and I hope someday you get to do it, and, uh, uh, you know... Just all the best to you, and thanks for sharing your story on it. I definitely appreciate having you on the podcast. Yes, well, thank you for having me. It's great to uh, to share with everybody, and uh, um, I love to get people up here fishing northern Michigan. We have it pretty good without a lot of boats up here, and we kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, we have so many great lakes, and uh, I think it's a, it's a hidden gem up here that people should know about and, uh, and just such a great area. So I'm um, happy to share um, you know, a couple tips with everybody, and um, and I welcome everybody to uh, to reach out if they, if they're up in this area, and I'll definitely uh, point you guys in the right direction. Excellent, appreciate it, Andrew. You uh, have a great New Year, and keep catching some nice fish. Thank you, appreciate it, guys. We'll talk to you another time soon. I hope. All righty, thank you, Andrew. That's okay. Andrew Lumley. He uh, caught that nice bag of smallies we wanted to let people know about. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by Cal Cuddle, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz, but he's not here. He's remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. It only takes a couple of seconds. Uh, please do that. It's very, very important. You know, and if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. I am so happy to have today's guest with us, uh, one of the best fishermen on the planet. He proves it time and time again. He's uh, he's a strong entry in any tournament he is in. He's always a threat to win it. He has won enough because, according to most lists, he is the number five all-time money winner in the world of professional bass fishing. 
He's on the cusp of $4 million. He'll probably break that this year. $4 million. Hey, Edwin Evers, did you ever think you'd be a $4 million man? No, I never did. You know, just uh, hard to believe. You've got to pinch yourself. I've made a living fishing for so many years. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely absolutely phenomenal. But when you when you got into this, did you set a goal for yourself? And obviously, uh, from the way you're talking, so, hey, I'm going to win a million dollars. I'm going to win two million dollars, or I'm going to win a classic. D- did you have Did you have any set goals? You know, the goals when I started, Steve, was just to uh, make the next entry fee. You know, to win enough money to make the next entry fee, and then the then, you know, if I made that, the goal was to, to pay my electric bill or to, to buy an air conditioner for my trailer house or, you know, it, it was all week-to-week and month-to-month goals. It was never my wildest dreams. Think of winning a million dollars or whatever you say, you know. It was, when I started, I was just trying to make ends meet and, and make it to the next week and, and, you know, maybe have enough money to go out and get something to eat. <laughs> I, I love it, I, and I love those stories. I remember we talked to uh, we talked to Woo Daves one time, and he said that one time he uh, he sold his shotgun to pay an entry fee, and if he didn't win enough money to buy his shotgun back or, or buy another shotgun, there was no food on the table. And I said, boy, if you want to talk about pressure to win, or you know at least a pressure to cash a check, that's got to be it. And most people don't realize that they think you guys are like. Uh, country club fishermen that are, that are doing this on a pastime. You know, you're making a fortune uh, in, in some other industry, and and you go fish these tournaments on the weekend, and then it's a big bonus. But that's not it, man. They they don't realize this is like, uh, uh, you know, if if you don't uh, if, if you don't finish in the top twenty or something, it's like, you know, showing up at the factory and not punching in. Uh, you're not getting a check. You're not getting a paycheck, and that means you're not paying your bills. They they don't realize how much is on the line. No, I don't think, you know, especially early in my career, you know, when you didn't have sponsors, you're just trying to make ends meet in whichever possible way you could do it. Oh, that is absolutely incredible. I, You know, a, a couple of things that tickle my fancy. We, we've been trying to get this uh, interview done for a while now, and I, things are very busy. And people don't realize, they think, you know, you're fishing in the warmer weather, then you're off all weekend, all, all winter, you got nothing to do. There, there, for Edwin Evers, there is plenty to do. Uh, you've got a, uh, you've got sponsor obligations. You've got uh, shows that you do all, all winter. If COVID allows the shows, uh, you've got uh, uh, social media stuff that you need to produce. You got people like me bugging you to do interviews all the time, and. One and of course, Edwin Evers also is a pecan farmer, and November, December are the busiest times of the year for that. So you don't really have an off season. But we were trying to connect on something. You said, Steve, I can't do it this week. I'm down in Texas uh, uh, doing some uh, important educational filming, and then that afternoon, I look on on Facebook and I'm watching a video of Edwin Evers fishing in front of a herd of cows. Were you teaching those cows fishing? What was the deal with that? Uh, you know, it's, uh, I was doing some back to basics filming in some ponds, uh, just trying to, to get some, uh, basic skills out there to, to new fishermen, you know, fishing baits that maybe your uh, everyday fisherman already, you know, knows how to fish. But, you know, I was just trying to do some instructional videos and they're having to do a bunch of cows there watching. <laughs> so they, they didn't just walk up on you and surprise you. No, I knew they were there. Uh, I thought that I thought that was amazing. I, I I laughed at that. I said, "Boy, oh boy, I I just got passed passed up with Edward for for a herd of cattle." And you know what? I would have done I would have done the same thing. No no problem with that. I thought that was really interesting to see. Love that. Absolutely uh, do love that. Talking about that, uh, go back a step. When we were talking about fishing uh, to to uh, make the next uh, entry fee or fixing to pay the rent or stuff like that. How long have you been married, and at what point in your career did you get married to your wonderful wife? I've been married 16 years. I got married uh, a few days shy of being 32. Uh, You know, it was just one of those things that, you know, early in my career, in my 20s, I I probably didn't have the money to get married. You know, I was living (laughs) week to week, you know, 
tournament check to tournament check, and uh, I just never had the, the, the means to support a, a, a spouse. And, uh, you know, that's why I waited so long later in my in my career because, um, you know, and I obviously hadn't met the right one either. You know, it, it was all God's perfect timing. Um, you know, there's no better gift than, than a spouse, and I've got a great one. Excellent. And uh, did did she? So she knew where you were at, and you were already attaining some level of success in what you were doing. So it probably was easier for her to swallow. But when you met her and told her, "Hey, I'm a professional fisherman," did she her eyes open up and go, "You're a what?" Uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, her brother at the time I was traveling with Terry Butcher, and he's the one that introduced us and. You know, Terry had a stint there where he was really successful on the on the tournament trail, and uh, he's the one that introduced us. So she knew a little bit about it. Okay, that's that's excellent. Yeah, because that would be one heck of a surprise, you know. Uh, uh, she meets you, she thinks you're an accountant, and finds out you spend your days in, uh, out on the water and, uh, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your, your nights eating at a Waffle House and staying in bad hotels. <laughs> that's... Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprising you with the Waffle House and the bad hotels. I'm sure you've had your share of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Who had? Yeah. No no slam antenna because there's nothing the matter with Waffle House. I will definitely say that right up front. Not not a problem with that at all. One thing that people don't realize is uh, that uh, you were a successful football player. Uh, you spent a little bit of time in Illinois, and you were a very uh, noted quarterback here. But then you moved on to college, and you played uh, both uh, quarterback and safety in college, I believe. Um, do you, do you uh, often think back to those days and how wonderful those were? You know, I really love football. Um, you know, I, I had two passions in life, football and fishing. And uh, um, I learned really quick in college that I wasn't ever going to make a living, you know, with a football. Um, it was a whole nother level. But, um, you know, I sure did enjoy those days. And a lot can be learned from, you know, any athletics, you know, school athletics, collegiate athletics, uh, just the discipline, um, uh, the work ethic that you learn from all those things. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the greatest things. That, that kids have an opportunity before them, you know, is to, to compete in, in some form of athletics, whatever it is, you know, it's just the, you know, maybe band, you know, getting up. I see those kids every morning dropping my, my son off. They're out there at 7 o'clock in the morning practicing, you know, the marching formations. It's it's the same as football, just the discipline and the, and the drive it takes to uh, get up early and, and uh, do those things. I think it's a great thing for those kids. And probably a lot of that work ethic passed over, you know, into fishing and, and uh, was just a good foundation to uh, start start my working career. Yeah, I, I I know you're an avid hunter as well, and I've uh, I've spoken to a lot of professional athletes, and I would uh, for some reason I find that guys that played on the defensive side of the line in football are more successful hunters, and I always think it's it's a a mindset that uh, when you're on defense, you're you're in pursuit, you're chasing. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, in fishing, do you find that? And you know, a lot of the guy, you, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, professional athletes fish. Do you think any particular position lends itself to more successful fishing? You know, is is a quarterback a better fisherman than a safety or a, an offensive guard? Does that make a difference? I know I don't I you know I, I never really have thought of it that way I, I just think uh no I don't you know it's it, it just it's a team sport you know football's a team sport and you know it takes all 11 guys to be successful um you know I, I can see uh the correlation you're trying to make there but you know I've never really thought about it that way see, might be on something. I, I think I think a quarterback is, is the right position for fishing because you have to figure things out, analyze things. You know, it's like stepping up to the line and, and calling an audible. Uh, you're in the boat. You're calling audibles all day long. Nothing ever went according to the game plan that was drawn up before the tournament started or before the game started. It's all about how fast the fisherman can think on his feet and adapt and change. And, and I think that's like you're like a quarterback in the boat. Yep, that's a good point. Excellent. And feel feel free to use that any any time. No, no, no problem whatsoever. 
Hey, uh, you're, you're, you're remarkable. You're in Major League Fishing. We all know the difference between uh, the rules of Major League Fishing, which is uh, uh, you can count and weigh an unlimited number of legal fish as opposed to Bassmasters, which you ruled in for a long time where you catch the five biggest fish of the day. I must say it doesn't seem to have hurt you switching leagues and switching the style of fishing that you do. Is that correct? You know, at the end of the day, fishing's fishing, Steve. You just got to figure out how to get a bite and, uh, you know, figure out a pattern and and make that pattern work over more than an hour, more than two hours, more than a day, make it work for a whole week, you know, going through the different rounds, whether you're fishing a five-fish multiple-day tournament or a major league fishing fish count stock deal. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's... it's um, you know, I, I think good fishermen are going to rise no matter what the format is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100%. And now I wish I had this in front of me. A couple of years ago, you had a tournament where you caught an incredible amount of fish on consecutive casts. Am I recalling that correctly? Yes, sir. That would have been the Red Crest event that we had in 2019 up on the Mississippi River. And uh, I think I caught like you know, 23 and 23 consecutive casts, 25 and 20, I don't remember the exact number, but it was the mid-20s. Um, it was a really, really good day. It, it ended up paying, paying the household $300,000. 23 fish on 23 casts is absolutely incredible. Were those fish all about the same size? Uh, you know, the biggest one was about, if I remember correctly, two and a half pounds. And, okay. And uh, small, you know, like a pound and a half. All right, if you were fishing an event that was looking for the five biggest fish of the day rather than weighing all of these fish in, would you have, I'm assuming you would have not caught 23 in a row. You would have stopped reeling in two-pound fish to go look for bigger ones at some time. Am I right? Yeah, you know, there are times I pulled up on schools on Toledo and in San Favor, and uh, I've caught... 20 fish and then all of a sudden you catch a five pounder now in the instance where i was doing this um uh, it was a little different it was a lot shallower water it was two three foot of water um but in an instance if i was doing that on an offshore point let's say i would have kept catching them because i've caught many many times a big fish 20 30 fish into school so uh it just it depends on where i'm at the potential um from the depths that I'm fishing. I, I love the I love the psychology of this and the science that's in it and being able to change and make the right decisions. I think that's so important. And, and you know, you're a master of that. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to one of the best fishermen on the planet. Uh, a lot of places have him ranked as the number five all-time money winner in history. I step above Rick Klum, who's won four Bassmaster Classics. Dang, that is so impressive. Edwin Evers, you are phenomenal. We're going to get a chance to talk more with Edwin Evers right after this. For most anglers, the unexpected is expected. But what you can do is take matters into the seat of your, well, shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best in Category for Technical Clothing. Built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry dock for the other guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuables safe for the next adventure. Overboard Shorts from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com overboard. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. 
We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am Steve Sarley. My partner, Dave Kranz, is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Man, you want to talk about big names, big stars. There's none better than the guest I have on right now. A guy I'm happy to say is a friend, the one and only Edwin Evers. Hey, Edwin. It's absolutely amazing what you've done. 13 major wins. You won a Bassmaster Classic. You won a Red Crest. You win everywhere you go. Uh, only a handful of guys with over $3 million in winnings, and I'm pleased to say that you are one of them. Uh, life is good. Oh, man. Anytime you make your living uh, tournament fishing like I have over the last 20 years, life is really good. Yeah, it, it, it sure is. I, I want to ask you about a couple things that uh, – uh, in general, people don't understand, and they don't understand a lot about fishing. You know, we watch it on TV, we see the weigh-ins, we read the magazines, do all this stuff. They don't realize how much work you do, and, and uh, you know, it's not just tournaments. It's all the stuff that's involved in, in the meantime that take up your time, like talking to me today, uh, which I, I thank you for doing, but there there is there is just so much of that that is out there. It's it's hard to keep track of where you are and where you're going. Um, and people don't understand that. Another thing people don't understand are a lot of the rules that are that are out there. I remember a number of years ago, uh, you were with BASS and they were doing an event up in uh, Green Bay, up in Wisconsin, and, and we share a mutual friend uh, from up here who's a was a Bassmaster Open guy in his day, uh, Ed Bone, uh, that you knew from Chicago. You know Eddie very well. And we were fishing for Smalley, and, and Ed was, uh, uh, we fished water that was not open for the tournament because Ed said, I don't want to go and be burning people's spots. Uh, let's go fish elsewhere. And Ed respects all that. And Ed called you and said, hey, we're up here. Steve and I are up here. You want to get something to eat? And you said, I'd love to have dinner with you and Steve. I just don't want to be seen by anybody uh, and even though you and I both know we're not going to talk about spots or techniques or anything, I don't need anybody saying, hey, I saw Edwin Evers uh, picking Ed Bone's brain at the so-and-so dinner place. Let's do it another time after this tournament is over. What What is the deal with that? What can you do about communicating with people, getting tips, getting information for the tournaments that you're fishing in? You know, in, in all tournaments, they try to keep it a, a level playing field as possible. And, you know, part of that is having a 30-day off limits uh, going into those events where you can't get in outside hill, you know. And, and Ed being a great local angler up there, you know, I just felt like it wasn't painting a very good picture if I'm out there eating dinner with Ed, you know, during that tournament week, uh, you know, just I know and you know none of us would ever broke any rules, but you know, this, there's people starting rumors. You just don't ever want to put yourself in a position, or I don't, that, uh, you know, looks bad. Or, you know, somebody could even say anything. You know, it's, it's how I make my living. It's something I take very, very seriously. So, uh, you know, and that's one of the things I like about the sport. You know, there's times in the past when maybe the tournament rules were a little more lax and you could get all the help you wanted. Well, then you're, you know, you're competing, not only against the other anglers, but you're competing against how many friends they have or their network. And so that's one of the things that I truly respect about our league is that, uh, you know, I, I know when I go out there and put my nitro in the water, I'm competing against just those guys on the water, not how good a network they had coming up to that body of water prior to getting there. Excellent, excellent answer. And, and I'll tell you, uh, when, Ed, when Eddie called you that day, I was so excited. I was like, man, we're going to get to have dinner with Edwin Evers and heard you explain why we weren't going to have dinner with Edwin Evers. And I came to like you and respect you so much more than I did at that time after that because I said, this is a straight shooter, man. Uh, this guy's a Boy Scout amongst fishermen. He is really a good, good man. Well, thank you, thank you. No, 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 no problem at all. No problem at all. And I think that's a that's a great thing to have, uh, uh, you know, a, a bigger, bigger than a trophy is to have a reputation like that where uh, – 
you know, you cannot be, uh, you're not above the, the rules. No matter how big you are, you, you play by the rules, and, and that, counts for, that counts for an awful lot. It counts for an awful lot. I'll look back at things. We got a red crest coming up real soon. We're within 90 days of, of a red crest in uh, uh, Grand Lake of the Cherokees. It happens to be in your home state. Is that an advantage? Oh, I think absolutely. You know, just being closer to the house and having local knowledge of the lake. Um, you know, it's 100% a, a good advantage, and and, uh, and I can't wait to have that event, you know, being on Grand. Um, it's going to be the third week of March, which is probably, you know, could be, it's really arguably one of the best weeks you could have it on Grand. You know, similar events that we've had on Grand in the past, they were early. You know, water was really cold, the bite was off, um, you know, fishing was really tough. Uh, third week in, in, in March, most times here in Oklahoma, it's a full-blown pre-spawn. They're biting, munching. It's going to be a really, really fun event to fish. I, I agree. I think it'll be wonderful, and, and I'm, I'm really hoping it comes off. Uh, this new uh, uh, explosion of COVID is, is scaring me. They're, they're canceling stuff right and left, and... Uh, uh, you know, I think this, I'm really hoping that this is going to blow through real quickly and we can get back to doing things. Uh, not not only do we have the Red Crest, the end of March, we got a classic, the beginning of March. And, and uh, I'm even thinking that the, the three weeks difference between the two events is going to make a difference as to whether they'll happen or not. Oh, you know, I hope I hope so. I, I You know, things here in Oklahoma are a little bit different than the rest of the world. It's, you know... I, you know, I don't know. You just, it seems like things are really open here in Oklahoma and, and some parts of the world things aren't, you know. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand it. We're, uh, I go to the grocery store here in the Chicago area and everybody's got their masks on and people that don't have masks are getting yelled at by other people. My daughter's from... Uh, uh, the northern peninsula of uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan, and she said, "If you wear a mask, people make fun of you and call you, you know, you're a weirdo because you're wearing a mask." And that's, you know, you're talking about 400 miles away. It's exactly the opposite reaction. It's so hard to figure out. Yeah, it is. It's it's a different time in our country. That's for sure. Hey, we we talk, we were talking a little. You're talking about people having a network and fishing against somebody and and all their friends and hey, one of the biggest changes uh, in in fishing to me is is the internet and what's available on there. There's so much more information that's out there. It's hard to it's hard to walk away from it. You know, if you, if you you don't want to get information, it, it, you, you might as well just disconnect from the web. Because it's it's there for you, uh, and I'm not talking about specifics like you know you're going to Grand Lake, you're looking for information on Grand Lake. It just you know that that's that's one thing that that is available if you were to choose to look for it, which you're not. But there's so much information to make you a better fisherman, and you have uh, incorporated this into your life because you are exceptionally popular on social media and the internet right now whether it's youtube or facebook or whatever tell us about what you got going like like project e hey you know thanks for bringing it up it's something that that i work really hard on but uh uh, just started a youtube channel um something i probably should have done a long time ago it's just a great way to connect with the fans uh it's a great way to uh step away from the tournament scene and just kind of be myself um and, and, you know, I've had a lot of fun doing it. I fished all across the country with a lot of different people. And, you know, just trying to teach people how to catch bass one at a time, you know, one lure at a time. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot, a lot of fun doing it. It's been a lot of fun going to the different shows and, and hearing success from the fans of, of some episode they may have caught and how it helped them catch maybe their biggest fish of their, of their life or catching fish on a weekend with their kids. So, um, you know, it's just basically a, a YouTube series that, that comes out on Edwin Evers Fishing. Every Tuesday is a, a really highly defined, refined um, instructional video um, on a lake. And then on Thursdays, we, we, we step back a little bit and we do uh, even more basic type videos on Thursdays. Uh, but you can count on them coming out twice a week, you know, and just click that subscribe button and you'll get those things right there in your mailbox. It's amazing how much information there is out there. It's amazing how much uh, has been accomplished in advancement of equipment. 
uh, the boats are so superior to what you had when you first started out. Uh, you got the spot lock on the trolling motor, which I find to be an incredible tool. The uh, advancements in sonar is world-changing. Uh, did you ever think we'd be at a stage where they'd be handing you tools that make it easier to catch fish? Like every year there's something new? Yeah, it's pretty amazing uh, just how technology's evolved. You know, who'd ever thought we'd have electric cars, ones that don't operate on gas? You know, it's just uh, the whole the whole world is evolving very, very quickly. And, um, um, you know, and the same goes for the fishing industry. Just with the new uh, active target looking forward, sonar is uh, pretty neat stuff. You know, a lot of people feel like it's uh, an end-all kind of tool you know there's still a big learning curve to it and uh the one thing that i've learned about it is there's so many more fish out there than we see and and there's so, so many of them will look at your bait it's 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 still frustrating to see you know a fish out there looking at your bait and he won't eat it um that's one thing i've learned using that stuff you know you sure don't catch every, just because you can see them don't mean you can catch them right yeah that makes makes a lot of sense is there any technique that you shy away from or it, 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 you show up for a lake and you hear they're on something and you say, oh boy, I wish that wasn't what the good bite was right now because I just don't like fishing that way. Is there anything? You know, no, there's not. You know, early in my career, yes. You know, I, I would shy away from a spinning rod or I'd shy away from jerk baits or I'd shy away from uh, maybe a weightless worm or, you know, but, you know, I learned really quick that I needed to be successful at everything and be good at everything. I worked really hard to develop my skills, to make my weaknesses my strengths. So, you know, um, I, try to, I try to go into every lake and, and look at it as a, as a clean, clean sheet of paper. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to rule anything out or be negative towards something. Um, that maybe I, you know, in the past I didn't like because, you know, it, it could be the tournament winning pattern, and uh, I don't want to not – I just want to go into everything with an open mind. Good, good. Yeah, I, I knew you would be that way because you're one of the smartest guys out there. Hey, man, time uh, time goes by so quickly. How about done? I, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me and the listeners. Uh, and I hope everything comes off for Redcrest because actually I'm planning on going out to Tulsa for that event and, and being a, a member of the media, I get to be up close and, and, and I would hope to be one of the first people to shake your hand after they hand you that big check and that trophy for winning your second Redcrest championship. Uh, that would be quite an honor for me. That'd be awesome, Steve. Let's make that happen. So, uh, I got you. You got your part done. I just need to get my part done. <laughs> yeah, I got. I, I did the hard part. Now, now you got to. Now you got to foot reel it in. Do it. Oh, that is so cool, Edwin Evers. Thank you for being with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I enjoy you so much. Uh, God bless you, sir. We'll talk to you very soon. Thanks for having me on, Steve. All right, later, Edwin Evers. Isn't he cool? My goodness, Edwin Evers, one of the best of all time. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guests, Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Always a special moment when we visit with Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Andrew Lemley, this is a guy from Michigan who caught what we think is the biggest limit of smallies ever, five fish, 37 pounds, oh my goodness, this is a, a, a seven pound plus average fish, smallmouth bass. Every one of those is a wall hanger by anybody's uh, rules. Absolutely incredible. Andrew Lemley, great, great job. And then one of the best fishermen on the planet, one of the top five money winners of all time from Oklahoma, Edwin Evers. Edwin, thanks for being with us. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Yeah, they sure do. Daiwa reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget, it's always available at our website, wefishasa.com. 
And when you're at WeFishASA.com, drop us a line. We answer all of our mail. If you like what you hear, let us know. If you don't like something, let us know that too. We're big boys. We can take the criticism. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.